to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today I'm joined by Don Schilling, owner of Wesco International. Wesco has been processing and exporting hay since 1971 when the Japan market for Ellensburg Timothy first opened. Today Wesco supplies all types of hay to customers throughout Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. Don's been with Wesco for about 25 years. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Good morning. I'm really, uh, really uh, pleased to be here. Don, tell us your story. Where did you start in the hay industry? It's really, really convoluted. I grew up in New Jersey, the, the son of immigrants from Switzerland. And when I was in my 20s, I went to school in Utah, Brigham Young University, applied to graduate school at the University of Washington, came up here with my wife to go to graduate school and never went to graduate school because we were starting a family and I I, I determined that I needed to start working. Mm-hmm. I worked for a freight forwarder. From there, I went to work for the China Ocean Shipping Company. And in those days, the single largest moving commodity off the U.S. West Coast in containers was hay. And so I was I was in sales. I had all the hay accounts in Washington, as as well as a whole bunch of other accounts. So mm-hmm. I met all these exporters, fish exporters, lumber exporters, waste paper exporters, and hay exporters. During the course of my regular sales rounds, which was fascinating to me, I, I got to know everybody that was exporting hay, contracted with them, heard about their problems, was able to size them up. And I got offered a job by one of them. And I, I was intrigued by it, but I said, there's, there's, no way in, there's no way in hell I'm moving to Ellensburg, Washington. I'll, I'll go to work for you, but um, I'll open an office in Seattle for you. And so I, I worked for a, a hay exporter uh, in Seattle for five years. And then I got approached by uh, a competitor uh, who wanted to retire, who said, uh, hey, I want to I sell you my business. And I said, I, I don't want to buy your business. <laughs> and, and, and he pursued it, which I'm really, really thankful for. And at the time, Wesco uh, had a, a small office uh, in Seattle and had a total of three employees. And so it, it seemed like I was buying a whole lot of blue sky, but it, it, it had such it, it had an established track record, had established customers, had um, uh, good relationships, longstanding relationships with growers here in Ellensburg. At the time, Ellensburg was the center of the Timothy universe. There was virtually no Timothy grown in the basin, negligible amounts in in uh, in other states. I thought, well, you know, maybe this is a, a chance of a lifetime. It was the chance of a lifetime. And so I, I negotiated that uh, purchase of the company. Soon after that, we got a, a protocol for double compressing Timothy. And it became clear that if I was going to continue, if Wesco was going to continue in the hay export business, that we had to, we had to get a hay press and we had to start double compressing our Timothy. Up until then, all the Timothy uh, that was exported was three-tie single bale because there, there was no protocol for double compressing Timothy for Japan. For 30 years, no, for 20 years, um, Wesco was, you know, was a player without having a hay press. Now, now Wesco had an interest 
I had a partner out in Ephrata uh, with a hay press, and we used that for pressing alfalfa. Um, but it didn't make sense to haul Timothy from Ellensburg out to Ephrata. Yeah, it's <laughs> the wrong direction. It's, it's the wrong direction. And so I, uh, Wesco had its office in Ellensburg. Um, after I bought it, we continued to have an office over, uh, over. I'm sorry, over in Seattle. And then I, I needed to buy a, a piece of property here in Ellensburg. I was incredibly blessed to find a, just a great 73 acres directly on the interchange. Um, it's a great, great location. Um, in those days, it wasn't that difficult to get building permits, and mm-hmm. and I and I, uh, I I built an office and a press barn. Now that's the location that you're at now, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're just on the south side of Interstate 90 in Ellensburg, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, directly on on uh, exit 115. Mm-hmm. We were shipping when I first started with Wesco. We were exclusively selling to Japan. Over the years, we've kind of expanded that, but Japan is still—it's still seventy percent of our business is Japan. It's our focus, and and since then, the market for U.S. hay has really exploded. You could there was there was kind of uh, uh, to say a tidal wave, but the history of the hay export business is that demand always exceeded supply. And so it's kind of sucked in new entrants to the business. And we've seen that come and go in waves, but the market continues to grow. I mean, it grows despite all the problems and the hassles and the challenges, the market continues to grow. And we, we the United States has a competitive advantage. Um, we get into difficult situations regularly. Now, but, what's that competitive advantage that you're talking about? Well, you're an economist, yep. right? So you ask yourself the question, why does a country export something, right? And if we, let's throw one caveat in there. Why does a free market economy or a, a country that's based on a free market economy, why does it export? Well, by definition, we export our surplus. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the United States, when it comes to the West Coast of the United States, we have a surplus of arable ground. We have a surplus of water, despite what anybody wants to think. We, mm-hmm. we have a surplus of water. And we have surplus infrastructure. Uh, I, I'm going to throw in farm equipment into that infrastructure mm-hmm. and uh, knowledge, right, as, as part of that infrastructure. But um, a significant part of that is, is the interstate highway system, right, is our Access our to ports. Port. Our ports, as bad as our ports are, they, they allow us to export. So we, as long as we have that surplus, um, that provides us with a competitive advantage. If you go to current uh, competitors, countries that also supply hay into the export market. Australia, um, Spain, South Africa. Uh, Argentina, Chile, uh, Sudan, Ethiopia, Romania, Italy, you you recognize that the ones that we might be Canada might be concerned about. Um, if you look at okay, what's the potential in Africa? I, it's big. Um, mm-hmm. What's the potential in South America? Well, it's big. But a, as their economies develop, are they exporting surplus water, or could that water be put to a higher value use? Mm-hmm. Um, are they exporting? Um, surplus infrastructure, or could that infrastructure be put to a better use? And I think invariably you find, you know, at some point on that developmental curve, it's like, 
Hell no, we're not using this water for hay to export it. We need it for our own wheat or we need it for our own vegetables or we need it for our own orchards or or we need it for our own cities or whatever it is. We don't have a surplus of, of water. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, you know, these, uh, these circles that we put in, these tractors that we have, um, we could be using them to grow a higher revenue crop with, you know, with the water that we have available to, to us. Or if, if you look at part communities in Eastern Washington and, and roll the clock back 30 or 40 years and say, okay, what, what was going on here? Well, ha- half this area was, um sagebrush <laughs> desert right yeah <laughs> right and the other half was was newly broken ground that guys were trying to clean up and they were growing hay right mm-hmm. and th- and then what happened well then you know those growers got a little more established they diversified a little bit um and then maybe that ground went to orchards Oh, well, that's the highest and best use of that ground. Yes. Yeah, until grapes are, until you learn that you could grow grapes there, Mm -hmm. right? And and so the same progression that we make, you know, other uh, local ag economies, they're going to make the same progression. Yes. And then it, it does come back to, do you have a surplus of water? When we look at, so our biggest competitor as a Washington state exporter, our biggest competitor is the state of California. Mm-hmm. It always has been. It always has been. And we've kind of teeter-tottered on. They ship 50%. We ship 50%. They mm-hmm. ship 60%. We ship 40%. And they have they have what appear to be so many advantages over us, certainly a freight advantage. Mm-hmm. But in terms of climate and cuttings and, and diversity of crops that they can grow, I mean, they're incredible, right? But if you look at that picture and say, which one of us, Washington or California, right? and you can throw Arizona and Nevada in with California and Utah in with California too, mm-hmm. right? Which one of us is going to run out of water for hay first? Well, <laughs> That's a right? pretty easy answer. Isn't it? You know, and it just, yeah. It fills a guy. It fills a guy from Washington State with hope. <laughs> <laughs> so the the other thing that I like to think about when we're talking about Northwest agriculture is the potato industry. That right. that's actually a very high dollar value crop. There's yep. a huge processing infrastructure, but you can't grow potatoes every year. And as I as I look at those. Uh, crop rotations for those high-value crops. Hay is actually a great rotational crop for potatoes. Oh, it's a match made in heaven. Absolutely. So in that, I I really don't see a world where the hay industry goes away because the potato industry, thinking about the Idaho potato, thinking about Grant County, Washington, that's the largest potato-producing county in the country, that's not going to change. Because that that potato ground is extraordinarily valuable, and all the big potato companies are here, yep. uh, there's no changing that. There, there's no changing that crop rotation. Right, exactly. And I think you know it when you look at Washington State and say, "What's our water situation like?" You know, the the idea that within the foreseeable future, we're not gonna we're we're not going to we're not going to be able to to justify the use of water on an export hay crop, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to imagine at, at, you know, at least for the foreseeable 10, 20 years, um, it's hard to imagine. And, you know, the other thing, the single largest integrated dairy in the world is in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. They came, they bought ground 11,000 acres. I think it is now down in mostly in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. 
and they're growing alfalfa for export to supply themselves, right? Yes. And they're doing it under drip irrigation. So can you imagine the laughter that was heard, you know, the first time that was told these these crazy Arabs have come to Arizona and they bought this ground and they're going to grow you know, are they going to go produce for the LA market? No, no. they're going to—they're growing alfalfa, and get this—they're growing it under drip irrigation. Oh, that's absurd! That'll—you know—well, mm-hmm. when we worry about the future of water up here, how wasteful are we? I mean, here in 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 Texas County, half the acres are—it's still irrigation, right? yeah, f- flood irrigation, um, right? Exactly. So. What's the next step up here? Okay, we're going to go to overhead. You know, we, we've got a lot of steps that we could take to conserve water and and continue to grow uh, hay crops for export. As as fantastical as that might seem, you know, um, in the Columbia Basin where you talk about, well, what about if we can't justify the use of water for this? Well, there's a lot of steps we could take before we said, like the Saudis said mm-hmm. or the Emiratis said, they cut off water. To hay, yes. They 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 just said this is a this we're exporting water and we got to stop. And you know you'll read articles in the Wall Street Journal uh, and sometimes the New York Times about what's going on in California and why are we exporting hay um, when we need the water so desperately here. Well, those are justified converse or justifiable conversations. But the conclusion you reach isn't automatically, well, we have to stop doing this. Well, maybe we have to be a little bit more efficient. And then it begs the question, what would we do with that water if we didn't use it for agriculture? Oh, just run down our rivers into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe that's not the best use for our water. Right. And and there is an intermediate use for it. So That was just about everything that you need to know about the export industry. That, that, that was great. <laughs> uh Okay, let's, uh, let's take a break there and get a word from our sponsor. One reason we updated and went to the Vermeer, the durability on these balers has been tremendous. They are overbuilt balers. The weaknesses that we had on our other balers have been addressed, and that helps give dependability to these balers. I'm Jeff Jones, and that's the reason why I switched to the Vermeer 504R Premium Baler. See financing at baylor.vermeer.com. Let's talk about maybe some advice that you have. What's the most important thing to know about the hay business? The hay export business, this is a little bit of hyperbole, but only a little bit. <laughs> if, 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 we, if in Washington State, if we didn't export hay, our hay market would collapse. And I, I think the, the cornerstone of our... Uh, Eastern Washington ag economy would be really challenged. And so that, that does sound hyperbolic, right? But mm-hmm. when, when you realize that 35, 40% of the hay that's grown in Washington gets exported and how little it takes uh, unsold in a given year to, to cause prices to, you know, to, to yeah. fall. I mean, this is the idea of uh, supply and demand at the margin. You, exactly. It exactly. doesn't take a large change in supply to really change to, to, to change price dramatically. This this is the idea of elasticity. And if you you know to your point about alfalfa being a perfect rotation for potatoes, um, well, how is it that we're able able to grow so many acres of alfalfa 
um, our local demand, we our, our local dairy industry consumes it, or how many feed stores, is there a feed store on every uh, street corner in Seattle? <laughs> no, you know, we're, no. we're able to do, to do this because 40% of the crop disappears. You know, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't go to feed an animal here. So I, I think when we look at exports, and we're talking about hay today, but you talk about apples or cherries or potatoes, mm-hmm. you know, potato products, not not just uh, fresh potatoes. Yeah, fries uh, and tater tots. And yeah, exactly. Yep. Wheat, uh, fish, lumber, you name it. Um, there's not a community in eastern Washington to, that to some extent doesn't depend on, on um, exports for the local ag economy to work. I mean, look at grapes. Ah, I mean, we can look nationally, too, and say, what would happen if we stopped exporting soybeans to China overnight? Oh, gosh. I mean, it it would completely rewrite the world of agriculture, right? Yes, it would, yeah. So, you know, um, I think that that anything that we do to raise the profile of the value of exports um, benefits our overall economy. I mean, right now we are in this horrible, you know, transportation situation with our ports. Um, we have really systemic problems there that nobody pays attention to. And when you realize that they're the choke point for our export economy, there, there's not a grower. There's not a grower of anything in Eastern Washington, you know, that really shouldn't be sitting down at the kitchen table with a pen and paper and writing their congressmen and their senators uh, asking for help at the ports. But the understanding of the connection just isn't there. And every you know six years or so, when you've got a ILWU contract expiring, it it makes headlines. You're going to start hearing about this, you know, more and more here as the as the contract expires on June thirtieth. And then we blithely go on our way and realize that that we have some of the least productive ports in the world here in the United States. Now, I want to dive into the contract negotiations, if you're willing. Take me through what happened at the last uh, round of contract negotiations. And remember that this doesn't just... This isn't just talking about hey, this is everything that comes in and out of the West Coast ports. That's that's correct. Yeah, there's a history here. There are three options. There are three options leading into a, a contract negotiation. One is uh, a slowdown on the part of the union, just a slowdown, mm-hmm. where they uh, any excuse they just work as slowly as they possibly can. That increases congestion. And in their mind, it increases the leverage that they have with the carriers. So the, the, there is, there's one union, one longshore union up and down the U.S. West Coast. The same union, a different local, is up in Vancouver, British Columbia, but, but they don't negotiate their contracts at the same time. So you have one union on the West Coast. You have one, a, a different union in the Gulf and on the East Coast. The union can slow down just to increase their leverage. They can strike. They can strike once there's no contract in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the opposite of a strike is a lockout. That's where the steamship line says, you guys are, are, are purposefully slowing down. You're still collecting a paycheck. Uh, you're not negotiating uh, sincerely. So we're going to lock you out. Don't come, don't come to work tomorrow. And then the management of the stevedoring companies they're able to operate the equipment it's it's really 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 slow mm-hmm. um but they can load they can load ships they can unload ships um just not 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 as expeditiously as as they normally could with all that union labor available to them mm-hmm. so those are the three things we have had 
Um, we have had a slowdown and a lockout and a strike. Um, you know, the last the, the last negotiations, the the last negotiation you had a slowdown as negotiations were were underway for months. They worked under in, an extension of the old contract, um, and then things were getting really bad. And the uh, Obama administration invited both parties to come to Washington, and in less than a week, you had you had a contract. So the hope at this point is is that the value to the uh, our economic recovery and to address you know a small fraction of the problem of inflation that the administration will. There are, the PMA and the ILWU are not negotiating right now, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully the administration will step in. And whether it's been a, a Republican administration or a Democratic administration, in the past they've been reluctant to get involved. And hopefully because of what's going on in the rest of the economy, they'll get involved early. It's not like the you know those longshoremen are starving. Um, it's not like they don't have health insurance. I mean, I think the average wage on, on doc is $120,000 and there are guys that make over $200,000 and they have some of the biggest, juiciest compensation, you know, insurance packages and holidays uh, of, of anybody. And at the same point, the steamship lines are making historic profits. They're making billions of dollars. In, in one case, there's a steamship line. Uh, used to be the biggest in the world. It's now the second biggest. But um, in 2021, they made as much profit as they have in the previous nine years. <laughs> you know, so you've got a fat cat on one side of the table and a fat cat on the other side of the table. And in the meantime. U.S. consumers and are the bargaining chip. Yeah, exactly. Huh. I hope that's most informative to folks that don't live in this world every day to understand the importance of those negotiations. Can you take us oh, through yeah. the timing on that? Oh, the um, the current contract expires on June the thirtieth. The ILWU, the union, can show up on July the first without a contract, and they'll just continue working under the terms of the old contract. Mm-hmm. The steamship lines with billions in their pockets, right? They could say, this is our moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a game of chicken and we can win it and just say, no contract, don't come to work tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. The union could, could the, the carriers could say, yeah, we're making billions. We don't want to stop making billions. So let, let's negotiate. Let's just keep the terminals operating. The union could say, now is our chance. Mm-hmm. Right, they're they're making all this money. The economy is um, uh, it, it's doing it's doing well. The truth is, the economy is doing well. Yes, um, but we've got inflation, and you can't blame inflation on congestion at the ports entirely. It plays a role, a little right? bit, yeah. But it's so high profile. These foreign steamship lines are all foreign. There's no U.S. merchant marine really anymore. Correct. They don't want this in the New York Times, uh, you know, um, and the Wall Street Journal. They don't. They don't want people talking about all the money that they're making. They're going to negotiate quickly. Let's just strike, you know. So it's it's anybody's guess what's going to happen. I I, I just think politically the stakes, this the uh, the the public relations stakes are too high. Mm-hmm. For the administration to say, no, this is the free market at work. This is an employer and a and an employee 
negotiating, we're not going to get in their way. We're not going to force labor to agree to something. We're not going to force management to agree to something. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think after everything we've been through in the last two years, they're going to say, no, this is critical infrastructure. We can't afford to have this uh, happen for the good of the nation. There are less than 15,000 union members in the union. That's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? The idea that 15,000 union members can control, you know, half the imports in the United States and all the exports, all the ag exports off the West Coast, um, it it begs reason that that an administration would sit back and allow that to happen. But it's politics, so who knows? Right. Lots going on in the hay export world never a never a dull moment i'd no, imagine and that's what's so fascinating about it i mean every day is different um uh, it it's endlessly challenging and to me it's just fascinating it's fascinating don i want to say thank you for your time today well thank you i've enjoyed hearing your story and learning from you for the listeners that would like more information about wesco you can go to wesco.us.com If you'd like to go and get some Hey Kings swag, you can go to hey-kings.com. A special thank you to Vermeer for making this podcast possible. And thank you to Nick Palmieri, our audio engineer, and Jessica Palmieri, our marketing coordinator. 